We've begun studying Ecclesiastes, which is one of the most unique and intriguing books in the Bible. King Solomon is reflecting on some of his backsliding years, and he's going to try to convince you to live with an eternal perspective by proving to you how meaningless life is without God at the center. Now let's join Pastor Ross as we're reminded to look to Jesus for our joy and purpose in life. Good evening, everybody. Good evening. Let's get started. Ecclesiastes 3, as I mentioned, let's pause and ask the Lord who's with us tonight to open the eyes of our hearts. Heavenly Father, we are before your living word and we wish to come under to hear, to understand, and to put it into practice. Your word warns us about just getting information and thinking that's enough. It would be folly and deceiving ourselves, James says. But help us, Lord, to not only be hearers of your word, but doers. Get something tonight and and implement it with your help. In Christ's name, amen. Poor, poor King Solomon. It's so sad to see him struggling as he is with a meaningless life, having gone from the wisest guy on the planet and kind of lost his way through uh, putting some distance, he did something the Bible told him not to do in Deuteronomy 17, 17. It said, to all the kings of Israel, do not accumulate wives, foreign wives, gold and silver, because your heart will go astray. And so his heart went astray, and he is journaling about those backslidden years that try to find life meaning without God, and good luck to you on that journey. Now, so King Solomon now is uh, picking up where he left off on this pursuit of happiness and fulfillment uh, without a God-centered life. And now he picks up here in chapter three with more of the same, but only this time he's written a poem about sort of the back and forth futility of life's repetition. And uh, so the words are fairly famous. (laughs) Here are the words to the poem that he wrote. And the reason it's fairly famous is because it became an international hit, did it not? 1965, it went something like this. What at church secular music? Well, Listen to the first 50 seconds, okay? No, don't do this. <laughs> the only original words to the song is turn, turn, turn. The rest is all from the text. Time to kill, a time to heal, a time to laugh. 
Oh, yes, I did. <laughs> All right. Well, you get uh, the point there. It made it to number one on Billboard's uh, Top 100, uh, just FYI. Pete Seeger, an atheist who was thumbing through the Bible, he said, I'd like to thumb through the Bible, uh, even though I don't believe in it, from time to time to gather uh, maybe a pearl of wisdom. And uh, right, and that's what happened here. Uh, and he set this to music, and it was made uh, famous through the group called The Birds, right? Well, all, uh, all he did was add a couple things. All he did was add a couple words, turn, turn, turn. And I swear it's not too late at the end. Now, let me tell you, well, like most atheists who quote the Bible, they use it incorrectly because they don't understand. So his point was it was a protest song. It's a protest song about Vietnam and getting out of war. And he said, if there's a time for peace, I swear it's not too late. So his point is, let's move the balance of life over to peace and all the positive things in life. Well, King Solomon and the Holy Spirit writing, it's not a protest song, it's a protest, it's not a song about protesting war, it's a song about protesting a meaningless, broken, lame, monotonous life that goes nowhere without an eternal uh, perspective. So back with the text here, verses one through eight, you see, now, so, so <laughs> Pete is saying it's time to turn, turn, turn to peace, right? The Holy Spirit really subtly, the indirect message of Ecclesiastes is it's time. And my first point is turn, turn, turn. Turn, turn, turn in repentance to God or, or, or life is truly without meaning, without purpose, without joy. And, and so, yeah, turn, 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 turn back to God. Get off the hamster wheel, right? That, uh, that is the way it is without the Lord. So I've been wanting to say this, and I keep forgetting. Ecclesiastes is, is descriptive, not prescriptive. In other words, he's writing from a humanistic point of view. When he says life is meaningless, everything's meaningless, that, that's not prescriptive. That's not the Lord saying life is meaningless because the rest of the Bible tells us with Christ, every single thing from your thoughts to your motives to your behavior to your words is meaningful, full of meaning. So he's describing life. He's not necessarily, and he's describing life having wandered from a close relationship with Yahweh, with God, with faith, with the scriptures. So it, it's not prescriptive necessarily. We do find a little bit of instruction in there, uh, but you know, it, he is describing uh, what life is like on a path that's far from God. And so four pair, 14 pairs, I should say, of opposite life experiences are staring at you there on the screen that occur under the sun. And I've already explained the under the sun thing is this life apart from an eternal perspective. Above the sun would be where heaven is, right? And so he's saying on this earth, 
the poem has 14 pairs of these life dynamics that are kind of set in motion, ebbs and flows of life that tend to cancel themselves out to bring at the end of all of the up and down and the up and down, uh, plus two, minus two, plus two, minus two, and really it just leaves you with a zero net gain, which is what he's been constantly saying. So, you know, you may hear the music, and, and Pete may have thought of it as an upbeat, perky kind of tune, but it's really not. It's really not. A time, a time, a time, a time, one commentator said, he's using and repeating the phrase a time for this, a time for that, to indicate his sense of the monotony of all things rather than their variety. And that was G. Campbell uh, Morgan. And so what he's saying is, listen, you know, there's a baby born and everybody's happy in the family and then grandpa dies, right? And then everybody's sad. And then that kind of goes on with you. You're born, but then you die, right? And that's just the way it is. And he'll say, uh, there's a time to plant, <laughs> right? And then there's a time to harvest or uproot until the land, and it just goes back and forth and back and forth. Uh, the hospital is busy healing. There's a time for healing. So while surgeons are healing, the judge is pronouncing a death sentence over a murderer. So there's a time to kill. It is not the word reserved for murder, right? So in a just war, soldiers are busy killing the bad guys as they should, but there is a time for that and there's a time for healing. So he's saying, uh, just notice the seesaw of life goes up and down and back and forth and up and down and back and forth, and he's just tired of it all. He says, I hate life. I hated life. Just get you nowhere at the end. And, and so, you know, life is stuck in this perpetual uh, mode of canceling itself out. And and for which God takes full responsibility for in Romans chapter 8. He says, that's my doing. I subjected creation to futility and frustration. There's a curse over the earth. There's a curse over this world because we unplugged from him and then death came. And so we labor under this curse. And part of the curse is, is that you're born and then you die. And then there's like you plant and then you harvest and you got to do it all over again. And so he says, there's a time to be happy in the poem. He says, you may be happy, but it won't be long. It's just a matter of time before you'll be sad and you'll be crying. So there's a time for crying and there's a time. Yeah, but you just go back and forth and back. And forth. So that said, Solomon thinks it's wise and fitting, and the Holy Spirit, a layer of application here, is that uh, it is wise and fitting to discern the timing of how God orders life, uh, even as static as it is, right? So he's saying, uh, ultimately, in this meaningless life. Life will go better if you figure out when it's a time to embrace and when it's a time to refrain from embracing. Do you know how, how wise it would be if the youth in this church use that kind of wisdom or anybody in this church when it's a time to embrace and when it's not a time 
to embrace, right? Or when it's time to speak up or when it's time to hold your tongue or when it's time to bury the hatchet or when it's time to use the hatchet, spiritually speaking, sorry. Spiritually speaking, people, spiritually speaking. Sometimes you have to fight, right? And so now for a glimmer of hope, he's composed a poem, he, he let the world sing it, and now he's gonna tell you really the implications and to reflect upon it. I mean, after all, he wrote the poem. Verses 16 through 22 for his reflection on what you just read. Nine, I should say, my bad. Nine through the next one, nine through 15. So what does the worker gain from his toil? So we're back to that again. What's the purpose of life? Where do, where do we get? <laughs> I have seen the burden God has laid on men. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also said eternity in the hearts of men. Yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for men than to be happy and do good while they live. That everyone may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all his toil. This is a gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that men will revere him or fear him. Whatever is has already been and whatever will be has been before and God will cast call rather the past to account. Okay, so 9 through 15. So he observes a life that is constantly going forward and reverse at the same time. That's the poem. And now he asks the question, and where, where might that get you? Where does all of that get you? And he's been answering you. He's just saying one step closer to the coroner's office and, and, or, or death. And so, yeah, praise the Lord. Have I cheered you up yet? <laughs> Listen, Christian, these are the concepts that drove you to eternal life and the love of God, your Savior. These words encourage me because they affirm the meaninglessness of life apart from Christ and the gospel. So when I hear all the disparaging thoughts here, I, I'm, I'm cheered up because I escaped this thanks to the grace of God. But perhaps if you're still in it, then maybe that would explain why you're not happy about it, right? So moving on. Okay, so there are some redeeming elements, he's saying, even though he's asking the rhetorical question, where does it get you? Nowhere. You're just closer to the grave. But he says, I, I've got two happy things to talk about, even though they're limited in their happiness. So he says in verse 10, this burden of trying to get anything out of this life that's kind of stuck he says there is a con uh, consolation and he says it's a sense of beauty in the divine order of chaos of nothing making sense i see a rhythm and a balance and a beauty and anybody with eyes even somebody who is not walking with god can say wow there's just a certain beauty about the way God has set this world, even in subjecting it to futility. There is just a, uh, a sense of the divine 
in the ebbs and flows of life. And you can see the world's religion and, and philosophies see that beauty and they want to connect and, and, and dance with that rhythm and not the one who made the world. Now, I, I mean, deism is like that. Deism says, wow, you can really tell that there's a God by looking at creation. But deism, where Solomon is kind of at right now, says that there's this God who doesn't get involved. He just started things, and he put thing, universal laws into place, and he backed up, and he said, there you go. And, and that's sort of where Solomon's coming from. But even the yin and yang, the yin and yang would love, loves that poem. Because yin and yang is about, uh, and the feng shui, feng shui, yin and yang, Taoism, reincarnation, they are all born out of a humanistic observation of the beauty of summer and fall and winter and spring, and you have to kind of align yourself Feng shui, you have to align yourself with how the creation or the divine or the universe is kind of doing. See, they stop with one through eight. They see the beauty. They see this is God's world, only they don't connect with him. And so it's beautiful even though there's not much point to it without an eternal perspective. And so... Life is insanely repetitive. Uh, but the way God has set these things up, frustrating cycles placed in motion, the world around us says that kind of balance and order, even in the disorder, is ordered in an appropriate, beautiful sense of divine orchestration. And, and he notes that. So... Beauty in the sunrise, beauty in the sunset. Do you see that? God makes everything beautiful in his time, meaning uh, even though we're stuck, it's a beautiful stuckness. The sun coming up, the sun going down. The heat of the summer giving way to the cool breezes of autumn, which gives way to the snows in the winter that covers the earth while it's regenerating itself in a beautiful blanket of white, which then gives way to this beautiful um, burst of colorful spring and hopefulness. And so the world looks at that and says, even though it keeps on repeating, there's a time for this, there's a time for this, and now it's time for summer, now it's time for autumn. And in your life as well, he says it's a beautiful thing. We go through mountains, and then we go through our valley times, and then we go through successes, and then we go through failures, and then we go through wins, and we go through lose losses. And so we have a sense that God is involved in it, there's a sovereign, divine nature at work that's bigger than us, and there's an awe and a beauty, and God makes it beautiful, right? So the world sees and acknowledges that, and uh, that beautiful uh, balance, and they try to have a relationship, unfortunately, with the balance <laughs> instead of with the Lord. So the second consolation, so the first one is, the beautiful verse that he makes all things beautiful in, in his time. There's a sense of just an appropriateness 
to the feng shui of life, all right, if you will. Now, the second consolation is the next part of that famous verse there, verse 11, that God has seen, he's saying, to make us for eternity. So he's set eternity in our hearts, which is the second half of really the most, one of the most famous verses in Ecclesiastes. Now, setting eternity in our hearts means that we have been created in the image of an eternal being, God. And the soul knows that. Genesis chapter 1, or is it chapter 2 where it says, and the Lord formed, chapter 2, the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living soul. So a popular thing that commentators say is the soul knows. The soul knows. It doesn't know everything, but it knows that there's more to life than life in, under the sun. The soul knows. That's why 90% of Americans believe in life after death. And fewer, there's an article that, that starts out, the title is, Fewer Americans Believe in God, Yet Most Still Believe in Life After Death. This is his point, all right? So, right, the soul is saying, I'm eternal. But the mind is saying, I want nothing to do with God. And the heart is saying, you know, I want to do my own thing. But the soul is saying, you know you're going to live forever, and you do live forever, either place, if you can call the other place uh, living. And so here comes the dark cloud after he says that God has put eternity in our heart. He says he's placed eternity in our hearts, but we don't have that information here under the earth to do anything about it. We don't know about it. We sense hate. We, we should be living forever. It's unnatural to die. What's the point of life if one day we're just all getting older and wrinkled and then boom, we're dead? What's the point of that? It doesn't make any sense. Because the, the soul is saying, yeah, this is wrong. I'm, I, I exist. I'm here. And if I'm here, he's here. What's the problem? So Solomon is saying, here's the problem with this. He's put eternity in our hearts. And then I go looking around to try to figure out the grand scheme of things, I can't figure anything out. So he's upset about that because under the sun, you're not gonna find the answer to eternity. And so he's using terms like, I took out my binoculars, I took out my telescope, right? I took out my microscope. I can't find it. I know something's gotta be there but if you're talking about finding the answer under the sun, I tried hedonism, living for pleasure. I tried science. I tried being educated. I tried building zoos and planting gardens and making a paradise and building a palace for myself and having 700 wives and 300 mistresses. There's no answer to that. It didn't tell me anything. He's right. He's right. You are not going to find the answer here. It has to come down above the sun from heaven to us in the midst of this train wreck. And God has to reveal to our souls 
the gospel, unless you find it from heaven, it didn't originate. That's all he's saying is I got this sense there's something more and I'm looking for it. Solomon, you're looking in the wrong place. Try looking up. <laughs> Try bowing your knees. Try opening up Proverbs, which you wrote half of them. <laughs> Proverbs answers all of his problems, but I'll tell you what, drift away from God a little. Get a little hard-hearted, you know, and, and your girlfriend, who, and this is what happened to him. He had a lot of girlfriends. And they said, what about my gods? And they nagged him so much until he, he, he put up an idol to their gods. And then they nagged him. That wasn't enough. They said, you have to come and worship that god with me. And so for happiness in the home, he went along with that whole deal. Until the very guy who wrote the book of Proverbs can't even understand proverb number one. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. He's lost everything because he hardened his heart. He wandered. And let me tell you, go ahead and take a vacation from church and get offended and do your own thing for a while or have your little private sin thing going on. You will lose everything. Solomon lost his bearings. God said, there will never be a wiser man than you. On the earth, God's promise. He's the smartest man that God ever created. And he lost his way because he misappropriated the truth. He played some games. He did what God told him not to do. And then he couldn't find his way, <laughs> he couldn't find his way out of a wet paper bag, as we like to say. No way. And so uh, one, one writer put it really nice. He said, the fall occurred when our parents, Adam and Eve, chose to have their own knowledge of good and evil and to be in charge of their own lives. By cutting themselves, uh, cutting themselves off from God, we were left with a life without clear direction, a life where purpose and meaning is hidden from us. We cannot know anything about eternal matters here under the sun unless we get that insight from him. The good news is that all God has been doing from the beginning and to the end, he says you can't know what God has been doing from the beginning and the end. Oh yeah, you can. The good news is it's knowable and has been freely and fully revealed to those under the sun who have ears to hear, to whosoever believes. Solomon, ask, and it'll be given to you. Seek, and you'll find the answers you're looking for. Knock, the door will be open to you. It's not rocket science. But when you're in sin, and you're stubborn, and your heart is hard, dude, I'm telling you what, it, sin brings on spiritual insanity. Listen to me, I'm getting older. I just had a birthday, as you all <laughs> witnessed. You will not be the exception to escape with your faculties. You will be turned into a brute beast. You choose. So God really does make things beautiful, even the meaningless fallen world. Oh, if only Solomon grasped the truth of what he was writing. God makes all things beautiful in his time. Galatians chapter 4. 
But when the fullness of time, oh, fullness of time, God did something beautiful. God sent forth his son, born of a woman, under the law, the curse, to redeem those who were under the curse so that we might be, become his sons, adopted as his sons. And because you are sons, God sent a spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Papa, Papa God. So you're no longer slave under the curse of this fallen world with its yin and yang and feng shui going nowhere, but a son. And if you're a son, then you're an heir through God. And what are you an heir to? Oh, meaning and joy and peace and the promises of God, eternal life, a place to reign and rule with Christ in the coming kingdom. He makes all things beautiful in his time. At just the right time, Christ appeared. If only he knew, instead of saying, it's beautiful, but it's going nowhere. No, he makes all things beautiful in his time. And so, now, two consolation prizes, right? His advice now, because here's what he's saying. He's saying, I have two consolations. One is he's saying beautiful meaninglessness and eternal awareness without enough information, right? So he says, given that, here's my advice to you, all right? So here comes 12 through uh, following comes the advice. First of all, verse 12, he says, be happy. Do good, do the right thing, all right? Nothing beats this, he says. Verse 13, enjoy good food, your glass of wine, watch the sunset, be happy, work hard and enjoy a sense of accomplishment. And I, and I said this before, that, that's okay, there's nothing wrong with that. But if you don't have Christ and that's all you have, how sad. As Paul the Apostle said in 1 Corinthians 15, if, if even Christ, if there's no resurrection and, and Christ is just for this life, and then we die, and there's nothing? He says, we're pathetic. He says, how sad is that? But the truth is, Christ has come, he has died, and he has raised from the dead. And so he says, this is a gift of God. So he, he's even some ray of sunshine here. He's saying, to be happy, to do good, to do the right thing, to enjoy good food, and, and, and watching the sunset in this meaningless life. He says, you can't even have those small little blessings without the, the, the hand of God. He is just saying, listen, it's possible to be happy. It's possible to enjoy your life. What's sad to me about his advice is, is that this could be a Buddhist photo on Pinterest, all right, and, and that could be the advice to you. I've seen these kinds of, these are bumper stickers, be happy. <laughs> be happy, do good, do the right thing, you know, or, or, or enjoy good food. You see, it's this, he's not connected to, to God. He's saying life is meaningless, so you're on the Titanic, you might as well be a good person, smile a lot, be nice to people, you know, random acts of kindness kind of stuff, which isn't necessarily wrong. It's just not going to help you, especially when you die. So go ahead and run with the bulls in Spain 
and sail the seven seas and climb Mount Everest singing a song and helping orphan children by the funds you raise. And then you die and you stand before God and he says, depart from me, I never knew you. Into eternal condemnation. Darkness, weeping, gnashing of teeth. So what good was it? What's good, what good is that advice? If you've got Christ, okay, that's, that's okay advice. But the New Testament and the gospel will give you better advice. This is advice from a man who's not connected and walking with God. He's saying, this is a terrible life. It's, we're all going to die. You know, <laughs> this is a advice. He's just saying, you might as well put on, put on a, you know, stiff upper lip, chin up, people, you know, because we're all going down, you know. It's just a matter of time. I'm just saying, listen, Jesus says, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. You want some advice? Then live for others, Jesus says at the end of John 13. I wash feet. I was the servant. If you follow my example, you'll be blessed beyond measure. So the New Testament has lots of pieces of advice. Deny yourself. Pick up your cross. Follow Christ. Pray without ceasing. Never get tired of doing good deeds and good works in Jesus' name. Overlook offenses. Bridle your tongue. Share the gospel. These are, this is advice. Amen? Amen. So Solomon's defeatist attitude continues, 14 and 15. He says, okay, I know a couple things. Number one, he says, God is in charge. There's no no loopholes. Life is frustrating, but he's behind it, so deal with it. There's no changing it. That's what verse 14. Verse 15. He's saying, my best, my best guess why God has done this to us is, is that he wants to instill a sort of fear in us. Now, when you're not walking with God, that's your attitude. That is right your attitude. Verse 15, he's up there. He's got a lightning bolt, one wrong move. You know that God, Jesus had to say, I didn't come to condemn the world, people. I came to save. You know, even Yahweh was saying, I know the plans I have for you. Good plans. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. But this guy's saying, when you're not connected, when you've got 700 wives and 300 mistresses and God told you just to have one, Then you're up there thinking, I know why God has made me so miserable and life so frustrating is because he wants us to, it's not revere him. It's the word is to have a phobia of. And that's his point of view right now, where he's at. He's saying, that's my best guess. He just wants us to understand he's in charge. Well, you know, that's not what Jesus wants us to understand. So, This is what happens when you wander from the path. You can't understand God. You can't understand yourself. You can't understand his love. So let's finish up 16 through the end here now. So he's going on. (laughs) He wants to say, and I saw something else. So in other words, wait, there's more (laughs) under the sun. So we're still, you know, talking about without an eternal perspective, as I've been saying. 
In the place of judgment, this is another thing that drives me crazy. There are two things that drive me crazy. One, in the place of judgment, wickedness was there. In the place of justice, wickedness was there. Uh, I thought in my heart, God will bring to judgment both the righteous and the wicked, for there will be a time for every activity, a time for every deed. So he's back to his poem, and he's trying to encourage himself, all right? Verse 18, and another thing, I also thought, as for men, God's testing us, test them, so that they may see that they are like the animals. Man's fate is like that of the animal. Now, this is very not gospels. Okay, or New Testament. All right, I don't know if you noticed this or not. Man's fate is like that of the animals, and it is without God. The same fate awaits them both. As one dies, so dies the other. All have the same breath. (laughs) Man has no advantage over the animal without the gospel. Everything is meaningless. (laughs) All go to the same place. All come from dust, and to dust all return. Who knows if the spirit of man rises upward and the spirit of an animal goes down in the earth. So I saw there's nothing better for a man to do than enjoy your work. Be happy. Put on a happy face, because that's your lot. (laughs) For who can bring him to see what will happen after him? Class? Do we know the answer to his last question? For who can bring him to see what will happen after his life is over? Who is that? Ready? One, two, three. Jesus. Jesus. Right. It's the Sunday school answer that's always right, right? (laughs) Just every answer in Sunday school is Jesus. Solomon. God used Solomon to bring the Savior into the world. He is in the line of Christ. So there's redemption in a beautiful way. Now, now he's saying here, now, but wait, there's more. And he's got a couple new complaints, two of them, two crazy makers. And they're very quick and easy. The injustice of man, humanity, man to man. And the tyranny of death, which he just, he cannot get over the tyranny of death. That is really the theme of Ecclesiastes, is what to do about death. Because it renders life meaningless without a, a savior, right? And so the injustice of man, the tyranny of death, let's talk about that. And so yeah, let's talk about that. We're going to skip that part. <laughs> Now, two things are bugging me. He says, first, this, all this corruption. So he says, corrupt judges, lying lawyers, bad cops, a flawed justice system. So he says, in the place of judgment, so when he goes to the courthouse, it's the guy who bribes with the greatest uh, amount of money who wins the case. And it was that way back then. And he's saying, what blows my mind is is that the innocent are guilty and the guilty go free. And it's so shocking to me, he says, that I'm hoping in my, he's saying, I thought to myself, I'm thinking 
there must be a God in the afterlife to write all the madness and the corruption and the people who get away with murder in this life. There must, this must be a just universe. And he's saying, I'm saying to myself, when I see a, 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 a murderer, a murderer's blood mingled with his two victims' blood and a mountain of evidence that he's the one with the blood of him and the victims. And instead of being executed or in life in prison, he's out golfing today. Hashtag check the newspapers for last week because that just happened. And he says, that kind of thing says to me, there's a, there has to be a God. There has to be a God because that, that doesn't make sense, right? So he's saying, there's a God and in his time, he will judge everything, not just unrighteous. He says there in verse uh, 17, not just the unrighteous, the righteous as well. Verses 18 through 22 Oh, and by the way, he's absolutely right. Romans chapter 11 says, it is written, as surely as I live, God speaking, first person, as surely as I live, says the Lord, he's, the Lord is raising his right hand and swearing in an oath. Let's pay attention. Every knee will bow before me and every tongue will confess and give an account to me, says the Lord. So Solomon's right. What he's hoping and thinking, oh, the, the people getting away with stuff? No, 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 no. There'll be a judgment day. Now, finishing up with verses 18 through 22, he says, now, <laughs> he continues, I gotta believe the, the enigma of death, that it, death is this, this puzzle, right? But I've got to believe that there's something more to this. But he's saying, listen, what, what drives me crazy is that my golden retriever, he's going to get old and die. And so am I. And when I look at my golden retriever and say, wow, poor guy, he's got to die, then I realize I'm no better off than my golden retriever who's got to die. He says, I, do I have an advantage over you, guy? You know, little Waldo, whatever you call him, right? I don't have any, I don't have any answers. You gotta die, buddy, so do I. And so he's just kind of completely, he's got this disturbing epiphany, right? He's gotta die alongside the lions, tigers, and bears in the zoo that he has put together, right? And so as they're pulling the animals from the cages because they have died, right? He just has this thought, man, I gotta die too. And so he says, gone, death is kind of like this test, this puzzle that God has given, like cause for, for concern, you know? for people who think, oh, I'll just live any way I want. And then you see, you know, your dog die and, and the canary dies and everything that has breath in it dies, including you. 
And so death is like this test to say, hey, something's going on. Pay attention, man. And so first he says here, he says, um, death is all around here. He says, mosquitoes, muskrats, moose, and man all have death hanging over their heads. So he says, here's what a humanist thinks about that. Man has no advantage. We've got the same fate as they do, right? Uh, man has no advantage over the mosquito. The mosquito's going to go and he's going to buzz around, and so you're going to buzz around. Just like a mosquito. You're going to stop buzzing around. He says, there's, there's no advantage to this. And so he's walking to the, Solomon is walking around the palace talking to himself about mosquitoes and he sees a lizard going around and maybe he sees a lizard on its back, you know, with the legs up a little bit and he just thinks, ah, me and the lizard. There's, and I'm a king and I can't do anything about it and I'm the richest guy on the planet and I've got a thousand women at my beck and call and guess what? Look, he's looking at the lizard and he goes, there's my life. That's my destiny. And it's like, dude, you need to get saved. <laughs> he is saved, technically, but he's pretty lost. So here's his conclusion. It's all meaningless. He looks down at the lizard, belly up, and he's just going, it's all meaningless. All seem to go to the same place. That's the quote there. And, and is there anything further? So he says, uh, that's the big question. Do we go up and they go down? Let's talk about do we go up. Jesus said, John chapter 5, a time is coming when every dead body will hear the voice of God. His voice, Jesus' voice, and that everyone, good or bad, will rise before Christ Jesus. There are two resurrections. Revelation 20 talks about the first resurrection of all the saved from the beginning to the end and a second resurrection of the condemned. So the first resurrection, so everybody will rise. Daniel, Daniel has a beautiful verse about uh, some will rise to everlasting life and uh, others will rise to everlasting contempt. So everybody will rise to answer Solomon's uh, question. Uh, now, you know, what about the animals, right? What about the animals? Well, afterlife for Fido. Um, Solomon wasn't sure about the spirit of animals. What does the Bible say? Well, I'll tell you. Uh, animals are not created in God's image. Um, they have breath. They have spirit. God, they're, they're animated. They're, there's something there. And that comes from God. But there's no soul there. There's no soul. There's no morality. Even though some of them are, act like animals. <laughs> Some of them seem to do wrong, right? But um, yeah, they don't have moral accountability. There's no eternal soul there. They cease being. Now, what about the possibility of a pet being in heaven? Well, first of all, heaven comes down for a thousand years. It's on earth. It's called paradise on earth. And there are animals there. In Isaiah chapter 11, there's a leopard, a wolf, a cobra, all getting along with everybody, a little kid playing by a, by a cobra, 
cobra's nest. And it's, it's fine because the curse is lifted. So scholars say if there are animals in the kingdom he's coming to establish, why couldn't there be uh, an animal that you loved in your life? There's no reason to say there wouldn't be that possibility. I, I would imagine if a believer says, hey, can we have, you know, Rosie, you know, one of our love dogs. Why, why wouldn't he? There's no reason. I, there are animals there. Why couldn't Rosie be there, right? So, so I'm not guaranteeing you. Don't hold me to anything here, you know. You tell, tell the Lord, Ross Reinman said. <laughs> Ross said, Lord, that I could have Rosie here. Well, yeah, I personally think that I've got a list of, of requests and those who are on the no-call list. <laughs> My, the pets that uh, I could do without, right? So they're not, they're not going to get a recommendation for resurrection. All right. They're just not. All right. It's just good. They just needed to disappear. <laughs> they did. Right. So it's possible. Why not? I mean, the lion's laying down with the lamb. Why can't our dogs be there, you know? God knows our hearts, and if we get there and we still need that missing piece to be there for it to be heaven, that's what Billy Graham said. Now you can quote Billy Graham to God. You know, I, I think that I well, Billy Graham, and then Billy Graham be over there saying, I'll have his book right there. Billy Graham wrote it in a book, Lord. It has to be true. So what's, um, what's Solomon missing here is that we do have a great advantage over the animals, but not if you live like one. If you live like one, you die like one. Alone, confused, kind of shaking. Right? And so we are made in the image of God and we have such a privilege. And so I love how he closes out verse 22. For who can bring him to see uh, man, what will happen after him? And the answer, of course, is Jesus. What will happen after you, you who love the Lord? Let me tell you, to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. You will open your eyes, you'll be present with the Lord. You will have a body like his body. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 21. A resurrected body like his glorious one. I'm quoting a body like God's body. Gonna be nice. Don't need to go to the gym with that one. <laughs> you will know as you're fully known. First Corinthians 13, 12. I'm wrapping up here. Reigning and ruling with Jesus. That's what waits after uh, uh, our lives. Judging the world with him. He said, whoever overcomes, I will give them the right to sit with me on my throne. So who's going to tell us? Who's going to tell us what happens after this life? Well, the Bible tells us. Jesus said, when you who are born of God stand in my presence, I will share my throne with you. To sit on Christ's throne is your destiny. Now, this would have cheered Solomon up. All right. It really would have helped to get him out of the doldrums, right? Just to understand of what's coming. Streets of gold, 
transparent as glass, Revelation 21. Cities that dazzle like gemstones, Revelation 21, verse 20. Crystal seas. God dwelling right there in the midst, Revelation 21. So what's going to happen afterwards? God, God, in a body, that would be Jesus, dwelling with us, walking around, touching him, right there for all everybody to see. And in that day, he says, oh, nobody's going to have to say, hey, do you know the Lord or know the Lord? Because all will know me, says the Lord. From the least to the great, everyone will know the Lord in that place. Wow. And no bad guys there. No more death, crying, mourning, or pain. So if you're stuck in the mud, Solomon, turn, 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 (laughs) and find repentance in your heart, a change of heart, uh, to surrender to the Lord and find yourself saying, meaningful, meaningful. Everything is meaningful. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, this is just a challenging book because we're not used to reading words in the Bible that are, are sad. And uh, from a perspective of somebody we, we love, Solomon, and to see him so confused and and advocating advice that just a a humanist would would advocate. Lord, help us learn exactly why this book is in the Bible is to corral us to a deeper, closer walk with you, not to let anything get in in between us. In Jesus' name. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.